All right, we are in Exodus 15. Uh, last week, um, we started back into Exodus, kind of an interesting place to start. They have crossed the Red Sea. They have really obtained their freedom. They are now independent of Egypt because Egypt has no army to chase them with anymore. The army's gone. And there's this wonderful song of Moses that gets sung um, in Exodus 15. And the refrain is, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. And it, it praises God for their salvation. It praises him for who he is. It expresses their faith to him. In fact, I'm, I don't know about you, but I was sitting in church listening to the songs that we sang in church last week. And they all related back to him. In fact, one of them was, if you hold our God, the end of it is, he will reign forever. Which is what this ends with, the Lord will reign forever and ever. So um, that song kind of sets the stage for a lot of what we sing today. Now, there's other so- types of songs in the Bible. You go to Psalms, there are Psalms of complaint. We don't tend to sing those songs anymore. I guess maybe some of the, the Negro spirituals might have been psalms of complaint. Um, maybe we don't have much to complain about, I don't know. And then there were psalms of de- deprecation where they poured down judgment upon people. I don't remember ever seeing one of those in church. Um, but that, that song um, really is a model for what we end up singing as believers. Um, and then after this incredible two million people singing to the Lord, praising God for what he's done, we immediately run into our first little snag. We go from the mountaintop to the, to the deepest valley. From being um, completely all in, following God, to let's go back to Egypt, or what has God done? And if you think about it, our lives aren't a whole lot different than that. We go from highs to lows. Um, talking with Mark, and I asked, you know, how life has been treating him, and he said, well, God's been treating me really good. It's life that gets in the way, something like that. Um, our life gets in the way. We end up with things that happen that throw us, and the Israelites are no different. Um, and so we have their first test uh, after the Red Sea. They didn't do the Red Sea test real well. Remember, they were by the shore, and what did they say to Moses? Yeah, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Why'd we have to come out in the desert and die? So no faith at all, then God does this great miracle, and now they are pumped up. And now we go to Exodus 15, starting at verse 22, and we'll go through 27. It said, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was called Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. 
Then they came to Elam, where there were um, 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So short little passage, but there's a, a lot in here and a lot that applies to us. So we begin. Uh, first thing that I noticed was verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness. Kind of catch anybody? How are they supposed to be moving through the wilderness? They're supposed to be following, right? Following the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Right? When the pillar moves, aren't they supposed to follow it? When the pillar stops, they're supposed to stop. Well, this doesn't say the pillar left and they followed. What does it say? Moses made them. Uh, maybe I'm missing something here, but it seems to me that uh, I wonder if the pillar started moving and the people said, we're not going into that wilderness. We're, we're staying right here. They're parked right by the Red Sea. Um, now, just so you know, there's this disagreement about where they are. Nobody really knows. Um, there's a lot of ideas and there's some evidence, but they, they believe it's by actually uh, the Reed Sea, which was a shallower sea. If you look at your map of the Red Sea, the Red Sea is really big. It's like the size of Italy. It's like the size of Italy's boot. It's attached to the Indian Ocean. It's very, very salty. Like one of the saltiest bodies of water in the world because the Indian Ocean pours into it. That's where it gets its water from. So it's actually part of the ocean, but then it evaporates. So it's one of the, it's like the Dead Sea. Um, and it's real far across. The, the Reed Sea would be a freshwater sea, but regardless, I kind of think they're by the Reed Sea. Um, and some of your Bibles will have that footnote or the Reed Sea. And, and it, it, apparently it was a pretty nice place to be. We've had our victory. We're by a lake. Apparently there was water. There was everything they needed. They didn't want to move. Okay. Anybody catching the applications there? You ever been in a place where God led you to it and you just want to stay camped there? I, I don't want to move from this spot. Um, I, I'm happy here, God. I'm really happy right here. There's everything that I need. Why should I follow you into the wilderness? Uh, Moses makes them go. I don't know how he does that, but somehow he, he, uh, he's their leader, and he says, we are going to follow the cloud into the wilderness. Now, I, any comments on that before we go on? I, I know that's, I've never heard that take on this before. I, that just jumped right out at me. Moses made them go. They should have been following the Lord in the wilderness. Um, they expected, there's 600,000 men, so you figure at least 2 million people. 2 million people. That's a lot of people. That I don't know. You know that better than I would. I just know there's a lot of people in Manhattan, so, yeah. Yeah, this is a big organization, and they must have had water there to be able to drink somehow. Okay? All right. So Moses makes them go. All right, where does God take them? Into the wilderness. Have, 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 we understand what the wilderness is? 
drive to Las Vegas and look out the window, okay? You're gonna take two million people and you're gonna march them out into the wilderness. They don't wanna go into the wilderness, but sometimes God takes us into the wilderness. What's the first thing that Jesus does after he is uh, baptized? The Spirit takes him into the wilderness. God takes us into the wilderness. He takes us into times where it's not what we want, it's not pleasant, the surrounding isn't good. That happens to us. It happens to us just like it happens to them. You have to say, well, you've got to be careful to your analogizing this. Actually, we'll look at a verse a little bit later. In Corinthians, it says, these things were written as examples for us. 1 Corinthians 10, talking about the Exodus story. These things are written for us. Um, and then they get into the wilderness. Why don't they want to go into the wilderness? It's hot. It's ugly. And there's no water in the wilderness. And they get in the wilderness and they get there and what do they find? Cold springs. No, 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 no. They don't find that for a long time. What do they find? Eventually, but before they find water, they find no water. All of their fears come true. All of their fears come true, I think. Why don't you want to go out into that desert? Uh, you're going to die out there. It's going to be really bad. And so we start heading across the desert. And we, we go into the desert, and they go three days without water. Um, I've read a lot of this this last week on this passage. And one of the things I think... I'm not holding myself up here. I think a lot of people miss how desperate this trial is. People are like, oh, they were without water and they start grumbling. Really? Anybody ever been desperately thirsty? Bonnie, you have been? Yeah, and and not only that, you knew where water was, probably. Yeah. Um, I went backpacking one year with some buddies of mine, and we decided to hike from our camp to a lake, was uphill to this lake, it was above us. And they all brought one container of water, and I thought, that's not gonna be enough, so I brought three um, in my backpack. We got up to the lake, we had lunch, and by the time we were heading back, all the water was gone. And it's about a two hour walk back, so, so we're facing two hours without water. Um, we were really thirsty to start. We felt desperately thirsty after two hours. In fact, we knew there, the problem is there was a lake. You say there was a lake there. Not, haven't been in the series. You don't drink the water out of the lakes or creeks because you can get giardia and you can get deathly ill. But we knew there was a creek running by our camp, and we knew that we were hiking along the creek bed, and it was dry, but it was running at the bed. So we watched the whole time when we finally got to where we saw water, then we went over and traced it back to the spring and figured we can drink out of the spring. We can drink right. But that sticks with me. I was without water for a couple of hours. How long were they without water for? Now, it doesn't mean they didn't have any water at all. They must have had some water that they carried because I don't think you survived three days without water. But the point was they keep looking for water. Their reserves are going down. All right, moms, the babies are crying. The babies are crying. I want water. Not the babies they can nurse, although if mom's not drinking, that might be hard, but, but your toddler, 
your two-year-old is, is crying to you, Mommy, I am so thirsty. Sorry we don't have water. I can give you a sip. This is as big a trial as you're ever going to see a people face. Okay? Uh, I think of us. Just put yourself in this position. You come out this week and your car breaks down. You try and start it and it doesn't start. Doesn't it just ruin your whole day? Don't we grumble and complain about it? Don't, don't we find ourselves upset about that little trial? This is nothing, that's nothing compared. I, I would argue that as we go into this, it would be real easy to criticize them, but we tend to be a little bit of grumblers ourselves. Um, I'm, I'm over at uh, school. They use the school classrooms for church. So everything has to be put up perfect on Friday morning, I mean on Friday afternoon. Because if it's not, our administration hears from the, the church about how upset their Sunday school teachers are. Okay? In other words, the room isn't set up perfectly, and what are we going to do? That's a trial. We're going to grumble and complain about that. I actually, in my mind, kind of, it's kind of evil, but in my mind's eye, I have a picture of somebody teaching this passage about the how dangerous grumbling is, who's just fired off a nasty note to the superintendent because there was a chair out of place, right? But we do that. We tend to look at our situation, our circumstances, and it totally dominates the way that we think about something. Okay? It says, when they went into the wilderness, in verse 23, when they came to Marah, excuse me, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. Mara means bitter. So now you add insult to injury because you've been wa- and you finally see the water, and you run up to the water and you drink it, and it is so bitter you can't drink it. The s- the solution seems to be right there, but we can't do it. Okay, I'm telling you, this is a big test, um, and they fail the test. And why did they fail the test? Because they were grumbling about it. And who did they grumble to? Moses. Moses. And the Lord and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Um, if you go back to the previous passage, um, verse 13, this is in uh, Exodus 15 13, you have led. In your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed, you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. They were singing just last, a day or two before, three days later, three days before, how God was going to lead, how God was going to guide, how God was going to uh, take them to where they needed to be. And now they're coming when they're coming against Moses. Um, God really doesn't like grumblers. And he doesn't like grumbling. Um, go to First Corinthians. Well, actually, go to uh, Numbers. Numbers fourteen. Uh, 
Um, this is after um, they go into the land of, uh, actually after the spies have gone in and come out and they basically say we would rather die in the wilderness than go into the promised land. And in verse 26 it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and said to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness. And of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephun, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And the little ones are excluded. Go over to the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 14. Philippians, I'm sorry. Philippians 2, 14. Sorry about that. Um, actually, let's let's go back to verse 12. It's verse 14 that we want to look at, but it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, sound so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's a promise that we have of God that he's working in us to will and to do for his good pleasure. Then he says, and I think this follows perfectly on the heels of that, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Why? That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain. You know, I, I think sometimes for myself, I think grumbling is okay. Right? I have a right to grumble. That I went through the fast food lane, and it took 10 minutes, and it should have taken five. And we will tell everybody about that. Right? I couldn't believe it. I sat in that fast food lane. Okay. Um, somebody at work is an irritant, and so we grumble about it. We complain about it. Um, like I said, circumstances come, and we grumble about those things. Go to First Peter four, where we were not too long ago. Um, and in fact, if you go through First Peter, if you remember that study. Everything we were to do was to be witnesses to the people around us. And one of the main ideas was to turn everything around. And um, if, if your master is, is unfair to you, work harder for him. If your husband's un, not doing what he should, love him even more. If it went all the way through all these situations. First Peter chapter 4, verse 9 says... Um, there it is. Um, oh, yeah. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's interesting they throw that in there. Okay. Oh, great. We have to take care of strangers. No, this is an opportunity to, to praise the Lord. And then go back to the verse that I had mentioned before, 1 Corinthians 10. 
Um, we haven't come to this passage for a little while. We did at the beginning of Exodus, the study on Exodus. It says, um, for I want, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all, baptized, all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now watch the next verse. These things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were as it was written, the people um, sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did in 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. And then verse 10, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he can stand take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is com- uh, that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And we see that in this passage. There was a way of escape. God is perfectly capable of giving water. God is perfectly capable of ending that trial. He's perfectly capable of providing everything that we need, but they grumble. I remember reading this passage. Look at the thing. Idolatry, that's really bad. Sexual immorality, that's really bad. Grumbling, why is grumbling in there? Because grumbling's just as bad. It's the thing that we do that reveals that we don't really trust God for the circumstances of life that we find ourselves in. Exactly, and that's exactly you. That was the perfect segue into what we're going through. But let's let's take. We have a couple of minutes. Any comments on grumbling? I, I know nobody wants to say, you know, yes, I grumble. Why don't we turn to our neighbor and talk about the last time we grumbled about something? No, every one of us could do it, right? We did it this week. Uh, somebody this week, I'm sure, in this classroom, grumbled about a situation that they were in. Oh, Becky's going to share. Okay, good. <laughs> Becky, what did you crumble about this? <laughs> no, I thought it was really interesting when they say, you think it's kind of like our right. I mean, that, that hits a chord. Like, I'm venting, and I just think that's not, that's not right. think there are times where we need to talk through the things that have happened in our day and I think it can be done in a non-grumbling way uh, you know it's not that nothing ever bothers us but the, the what is the response to that and it should be to turn to the Lord um, but I mean certainly every one of us comes home in the evening and there's things that happen in the day that we want to talk about but I, you have to be careful that it doesn't just turn into grumbling and and we, we, we do tend to do that. We become grumblers. But what are some of the synonyms of grumbling? 
know, one of them is murmuring, I think. Uh, complaining. Complaining. Uh, what else, Walter? No, no, I, I, no, I, I figured we you know that, Walter, I know you too well. When you ask a question like that, you know something that I don't know. So, um, so what's another synonym for? It must be a whole bunch of them. Okay. All right. So, um, Oh, I'll let you say it. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get in trouble if I say that. I've got a wife here who wouldn't like it if I said that word. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I hope that's on tape. I hope that. Um, Is this the time for me to apologize? No, 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 no. no. We're fine. All right. Now Darla points out something because. The response is completely wrong because they don't go to the person that they should be talking to about it. Now, I don't know if none of them did, but the passage doesn't record it. It simply says they complained against Moses. There has to be something you direct that grumbling against. I'm mad at something. I'm mad at somebody. Um, they, they, it was Moses who forced them in the wilderness. But they should have been following the Lord, but they're grumbling against Moses. Um, and Moses has the exact perfect response to this. Um, because in verse 20, uh, I can't read that, 25, and he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. So Moses is Rat Mara, the water's bitter. Moses, by the way, is just as thirsty as the rest of them. He's just as um, desperate as the rest of them. But instead of grumbling, he cries to the Lord. Um, there's a song about that. Um, take it to the Lord in prayer. Right? Um, are there trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? Um, take it to the Lord in prayer. We, we have a God who can take care of our problems. He may not take care of our problems in the way we think he's going to take care of our problems. He may ask us to go through the trial for quite a bit longer. We don't know. But what you do know is that no matter what happens, God can solve that problem. He can give us water. And he has promised to provide for our needs. And he will do that. So a miracle occurs. Because there is no tree known in the universe that can be thrown into the water and make water sweet. More likely than not, it's going to pollute the water. Yeah, well, or it's not going to help. But but God produces a miracle, and then there is, and then there's water. Um, this may be stretching it a little bit, and I always have to be a little careful when you do this. But it's uh, it's interesting how many of the commentators brought this up. That, that if we're looking at this like Paul was looking at it, that we're going through the wilderness and everything is allegorized, that, that we can say that the tree is the same tree that, that Christ was on the cross. That, um, that um, Christ on the cross takes the bitterness of life from us. At the death of Christ, and if you don't want to go that far, at least we can come back because we have better promises than they do. When our life is bitter, 
And ultimately, the bitterness of sin is the ultimate bitterness. The cure for that was the cross. The cure for that was Jesus Christ. Um, we have the promises made more sure than they have. Um, but the response of Moses is exactly the opposite response for people. The response of Moses is what our response is going to be. And that is, don't complain, bring it to the Lord. And that's what it says in, in Philippians. Don't complain. Um, and then if you go to Philippians, it's the verse, be anxious about nothing. But in everything. With prayer and supplication, make your requests made known to the Lord, to God. And he will keep you in perfect peace as a result. Okay? Now, there is an interesting section at the end of this that we, we need to talk about. That I think for us, the, the basic lesson here is that grumbling for us is just as big sin as it is for them. We find ourselves grumbling constantly. It tells us that we are not placing our faith in, in God. And, and we are not living our lives the way he's asked us to. And you go back to those passages. If you don't grumble, you are a shining light in the world. Because what does every unregenerate person do when things go bad? You grumble. And we live in a society of grumblers. And, and we are not to be those people. If we are, we don't distinguish at all from the rest of the world. There's no light. Um, we may speak words, but they don't mean much if our lives mirror the rest of the world exactly. This last part, though, is very interesting. And we, because we're going through, we need to talk about this. And I have to confess, I spent most of my week trying to make sense out of this. It says, then the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I the Lord, for I am the Lord your healer. And then verse 27 that Matt mentioned, then they came, um, God led them to Elam, there's 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they can't do it. Sounds like an oasis. I don't think 70 palm trees are going to do much for two million people. Maybe really pick palm trees, but um, um, that, by the way, that spring, as far as we know, is still there. That oasis um, was part of a travel group that is, is still there. <coughs> At least that's what appeared, or maybe it's switched around, but it's in the rough, rough, roughly that same area. I didn't know where that was. Um, this last part, God introduces himself by a brand new name. First time he's ever said this. He says, for I, the Lord, am your healer. It's Jehovah Rapha, okay, our healer. <clears throat> but what it's, what's interesting is the setup for it. Uh, I don't understand why it fits in here, except that maybe he healed the waters. But it says that, his response to them was to make a statute and a rule and he's going to test them and he sets up a choice for them if you listen to me and obey me then I will not put any of these diseases on you that the Egyptians have okay what in the world does that mean 
what does it what does it mean that they will get none of the diseases? Um, so I'm just going to tell you the different different things that are, are thought of. Uh, one of them is that this refers to the plagues. That they just saw the way God dealt with a disobedient nation and God is promising not to send a plague on them like he sent on Egypt. Um, so that's kind of weird. I thought so too, but it's amazing that the old preachers believed that. Spurgeon, that would have been his thing, that these are plagues. And he actually goes to Psalm 91 where it equates disease and plagues. He has a verse that pulls those two together. Um, there's another one that says that it is, this is a special promise just for the time that they are on, in the wilderness. This is not true for all time, but if they'll obey him during the wilderness, he won't put the diseases that the Egyptians get. In other words, like the shoes never wearing out, uh, they will be provided with good health. Um, there were some characteristic diseases of the uh, Egyptians. Um, many of them having to do with uh, the fact that they lived all, basically the, the Nile was both their source of water and also where you threw your trash, right? And where you, you dumped your, your waste. And um, they also had a different view of, you know, the dead and, um, and they, they had a lot of communicable diseases. And so it may be that during this time I will protect you from those. But we don't really know if he did because they never obeyed, right? In other words, this was a test that was set up. We don't know what ended up happening. Um, in the 70s, there was a book that was written. Actually, I think it was in the 60s. Maybe some of you remember. It was called None of These Diseases. Have you ever heard of that book? And it was a man who was a doctor and a Bible scholar. And he argued that um, if you follow the Old Testament dietary and sanitary laws, um, you would not have had the diseases the Egyptians had, simply because um, you know when somebody was sick, they were quarantined, you didn't eat blood, there were certain types of food you didn't eat. And he went through and said that Moses um, gave the best rules for preventing spreads of infectious diseases in a, a large group of people that we've ever known. And a lot of things that we do to protect ourselves are very similar. Um, uh, but that was kind of uh, uh, almost, and that said, okay, if anybody who obeys God's, those laws will be free from those diseases. And it seems like it isn't just obey the dietary laws, he's saying keep all of my commandments. So I don't know which one I, I settle on. Any ideas? interesting is we do know that during the wilderness there were plagues, right? He sent snakes and he sent um, sickness, but they never obeyed him either. In other words, they, they failed the test. So when a plague comes, and that, maybe that is exactly what it's referring to. 
Um, what is interesting to me, though, is, again, this is written for our instruction. What I think is really important for us is that although this may have been for them right then, it's true for us as well. If, if we diligently listen to the voice of our Lord and do what he says, he, he heals us. Now, some of you are real nervous right now. I'm not a health and wealth person, and you know that. But, but God is presented in the Bible as the healer. And God does heal us. He heals us ultimately of the main problem, which is sin. And Christ heals us of the main issue, which is sin. But I believe that there is, for most people, if we are obedient to God and do what he says, there's, there is health that follows from that, and oftentimes physical. Not for every single person, but in general, if you're doing and living the way God uh, asks you to live, uh, health is one of those benefits. But again, that's the, the main issue is that Christ is our healer. So I want to look at some verses on healing because I don't want to just go over this and say, well, this just applied to them back, back when. Um, ultimately, the problem is that we need to be healed from what's causing us to grumble. We need to be healed from our from our sinfulness. And that's what Christ does for us. So um, I want to just look at a couple of verses. Go to Psalm 38. 2. Psalm 38, verse 2. This is all through the Psalms. I've just pulled out a few verses because I knew we wouldn't have a lot of time. (coughs) Actually, it's verse 2 and 3. Um... We may as well start at one since we're that close to the beginning. It says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of what? My sin. Um, All through the psalm is this idea that if we... If we are sinful, it affects health. No, no health in my bones because of my sin. I'm not saying that if we don't sin, we'll have perfect health. Everybody's going to die of something. But sinfulness causes. Think about what worry causes. Worry being sin. All of the stress and the, the high blood pressure and the ulcers that come with it. But, but. I still think that when we meet, read this verse, we're talking about the much deeper problem, that, that we're talking spiritual health here. Um, go over to Psalm 41.4, just a couple verses over. He says, as for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal me. Why? For I have sinned against you. When we sin, we need healing. And especially the healing from, from that. Go over to Psalm 103.3. There's a great psalm of praise to the Lord. And um, it says, Bless the Lord, in verse 2, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, and who heals all your diseases. Um, 
I remember somebody saying, "Let's see if you if you believe and you um, that God will heal all of your diseases." It's like, well, He does. Doesn't God heal every one of your diseases? Everyone except the last one, right? It's not a promise that we'll never get sick, and but but the, when when healing takes place, it's because God God heals us. God is our healer. God is the one who heals. But ultimately, I just want to say that sometimes we don't know why we get sick, but if we listen to God during that time and don't tremble, breaking my neck was not fun. Wearing that collar six days was not fun. But I think Walter can attest that I didn't tremble ever because I just knew there was a purpose for it, and I've learned a lot of lessons. And He did heal me. Got surgery and everything. So I think if we learn our lesson when God speaks to us like that, there's a reason. I don't know if I sinned and he had to send it, whatever it was. It was there and it's gone. Well, what's 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 happened is you've been made more like Christ. Yeah. Um go to Isaiah and we're we're just about done here. I, I know I'm kind of jumping around because I actually do believe that there is a link between sin and health. And I do believe that if we we live the way God wants us to, there is a blessing that comes that in general we're healthy. But I also understand that there's some people who at a young age um, contract an illness and die or who suffer with chronic illness their whole life. So I, I don't... I'm not going to make the statement, live right and you're perfectly healthy. There's a link there. But the more important part, so I'm, 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 like I said, I've been pondering this all week and I haven't known quite how to say what I want to say. But ultimately, what we come down to is this. Go to Isaiah 53, 5. <laughs> Talking about our Lord on the cross, the one who's cross heals us from is the, the healing that takes place. The waters needed to be healed and the wood was thrown into the waters. God ties in the healing. And now in Isaiah 53 it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that bought, brought us peace and what? By his stripes we are healed. Every one of us who is a believer has been here. That promise is true for us. You say, well, what if I don't obey perfectly? That's not a what if. You won't obey perfectly. But fortunately, Christ obeyed for us. We are ultimately healed of what we need to be healed of. And that is the thing that causes us to complain, the thing that causes us to grumble, the thing that causes us to want to be like everybody else instead of like Jesus Christ. So we go back to that passage. It's a it's a wonderful one to ponder. Um, I was I was thinking about it, and it's it's funny. There's a there's a very irritating person at work. Everybody grumbles about it, and this this and, and I have to admit I've done it too. <laughs> and uh, and somebody came up this week and started grumbling to me about this. They're grumbling, it's not against Moses, grumbling against this woman who caused everybody a little bit of aggravation. And all of a sudden, it was like, this is wrong. 
And so I began, I can't believe I did it, but I actually began to defend her to this other person. Um, but but the, the point is, we fall into it really easily. Uh, we grumble against people, we grumble against things, we grumble just to the, and, 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 but, but that's not who we're supposed to be. We put our faith in God. We trust him even if he takes us three days without water. We trust him even if we see no light at the end of the tunnel. And trust me, two days in, and they still don't know where water's coming from, there's no light at the end of the tunnel for them. We, we trust God, and we don't let our circumstances determine the way that we respond. We, we put our faith and trust in him, and we don't give more. And when we fail, he still heals us, because that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. Okay, let's close in